Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. And thanks, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton over to me. I greatly appreciate it. You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, concerns, or comments. Every Saturday morning, we get together and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants. What's the difference between potting mix and potting soil? How to improve your soil? Do you need to prune? Or what are those bugs and diseases? Speaking of bugs and diseases, one disease right now is fire blight. And fire blight is early in the spring. Basically, that's where we are right now. That's one of the diseases that gets internal inside the plant, like Bradford pears or calorie pears and things like that, and turns many of the tips of the branches black. So it looks like it's been burnt. That's where fire blight, the name, comes in. But this is a year when the cankers open up on the trees that are already infected. Then insects get into that stuff. It's, you know, it's just open. It's like sap. And then they move to another one, and they inoculate another tree. So, And once a plant has fire blight, that's it. It's sort of like rose rosette with the roses. But anyway, planting, removals, and all that other stuff. Remember, my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take effort, physical and mental, both on your part in this marathon called gardening. And this is your show, and I appreciate you being here Thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I think he's got quite the streak going on as far as uh, producing the Garden Hotline week after week after week after week. And I greatly appreciate his knowledge and skills because there's certain things that I don't have access to, and he really helps me out. So I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, and I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Wow, the sky was really clear this morning, and the sun was so bright. I'll tell you, usually, you know, from down by Christie Park where I live, uh, I come gravel for the most part, unless I'm going some other place to, for the good gardening stroll. But there's, I forget, there's one area where I gravel bends and turns, and the early morning sun is blinding. It is just, wow. Luckily, I have a visor on my windshield on the inside, of course. And I'll tell you, the Bradford pears and the crabapple trees along the ride were nothing but striking. So looks like spring is here to stay. But remember, next week it's going to get up into the 80s. So if you want to take a selfie 
with any of your spring flowering things, you better get out there and do it this weekend because when the temperatures get to be 80, the petals are going to start falling off stuff rapidly. So it's been a long time to wait for spring, but it has been nice. But you better get out there. And uh, back in 1969, actually April 26th, not quite the date today, I went into the Air Force. So I thought, what better place to walk for my good gardening stroll than the Soldier's Memorial in the landscape? It's not quite finished yet, but I thought I'd take a look around. It's been probably a month or so since I've done that. There's been a lot of insulation done. I mean, just, it's really amazing. And on the north side, there's a really steep grade, and it goes from the base of the building sidewalks down to the public sidewalk. And so consequently, it looks like they're putting a type of ornamental grass. I can't tell exactly what type of ornamental grass it is because there still is a chain, you know, a really high chain link fence around the whole complex to keep people from going in there and, you know, monkeying around or anything else. But if I was going to guess, I'd say it might be prairie drop seed, but I do not know that for sure. But they've got a lot of it around. There's flats of it sitting every place, all the way around the entire complex of the Soldiers Memorial. So consequently, a little bit later on, it's going to be, I guess probably the outside will open up sooner, but the whole thing is going to be open up in November, and that would be the inside, and that's after the History Museum has taken over this, I guess, the internal workings of the Soldiers Memorial. And uh, one thing on the north side, too, to show you how cool this is getting, if you happen to have an electric car, there is charging a uh, charging station on the back, on the north side of the Soldiers Memorial. So very, very contemporary. As I walked along, I could see there's been some boxwood, and uh, boy, they're showing some foliage burn due to that January cold. I think they had some of the plant material that was, was dropped off early, and it just kind of sat there, and I'm sure it was taken care of and everything else, but uh, it looks, uh, it hasn't started to push out any new growth. Some of the boxwood I have in my own landscape, they were showing that winter burn earlier, but they've already pushed out new growth, and you can't even tell where that winter burn was. But each situation is going to be somewhat different. So anyway, as you go around to the west side, is that where we're going see north? Yeah, west side. Well, those ornamental grasses and the boxwood wrap around that direction as well. South side, spectacular panorama. There is a white Crab apple in full bloom right now. That's one of the trees that was left, you know, pre-construction and everything else. They managed to work around it, and it looks like it survived very, very well. And uh, there's the front of it, on the, which is the south side, there's lawn areas. There's dark green flats of other plant material that's going to be installed. And the building front is strikingly different from what it has been in the past. There's walls, and there's walks, and there's modern bench seats and there's a double walkway along Market Street and aligned with evergreen shrubs. It looks like oak leaf hydrangeas are already starting to push out some new growth. And uh, on the east side, diagonal parking. And Chestnut is going to be one way, to, you know, right, which runs right in front of the Soldiers Memorial. But it's one way from west to east, which is kind of surprising because most of them, the streets, well, I shouldn't say that, but... It just seems like that's kind of backwards or contrary to, I guess, what's in my head. But anyway, it was really kind of a nice walk around the Soldiers Memorial. So, uh, as I said before, I guess the inside will be opening up in November, probably the outside prior to that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, as I said in the introduction, uh, mid-80s this upcoming week, so a lot of the spring stuff that we've been watching and enjoying for the last week or so is going to head downhill. So get out there and get those pictures taken. Speaking of pictures, Tracy was out in Christie Park right across the street from us. And taking some, I mean, the park is just filled with Clatonia, spring beauty. It's the thing that I grew up with uh, in the yard in Ellisville because my father refused to do any kind of weed control, which was great. It was fine. But it's nice to see these sort of like waves of the spring beauty across Christie Park. So Tracy took some great pictures of that. And she loves the violets, so she got a picture of the Clatonias as well in the same shot with the violets. Good contrast. Excuse me one second. <coughs> I had to cough. Florence lives in Troy, Missouri. Florence, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Uh, I had Easter lilies uh, this year, mm-hmm. and I understand they can be planted in the flower garden, and I need to know when and how to do that. Basically, what you want to do is just keep them nice and healthy, keep them inside, or you can move them outside if you want to, but don't plant them yet. Wait until the foliage starts turning brown and then install them at that time. Because what's going to happen is you're going to plant them about four inches deeper than what they are in the pot that they're in. So they're going to have to go down about six, six inches plus. And if you plant them now while the foliage is still green, you're going to be burying a lot of that foliage on the bottom part of the, uh, the plant. And consequently, that might mess up, let's say, the building of the strength for, you know, for the future. So you can set them outside if you like. Just keep them watered. Treat them just like you would a house plant. But as soon as they start going downhill, in other words, the foliage starts turning brown, that's when you can install them in your landscape. Now, do I cut them off. Yeah, it'll be brown, so you can cut the stalks off with the, you know, cut the flowers off if you haven't already cut those off, the spin flowers, because I'm sure they're already finished, or I would think they would be. And then you cut the foliage off and then just bury the bulb like you would naturally. And probably what I do, too, is when you pull it out of the pot, shake all that potting mix off so it can just go into, and it has to be in a really well-drained spot, and sunnier the better. Okay, thank you so much, Certainly. Mike. My pleasure. And now let's go from Troy, Missouri, to Oakville. And that's where Mike lives. Hi, Mike. Okay, Mike, I called you last week about the dirt around my driveway driveway and sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Well, next, next thing you know, it was around my foundation and out to the yard. It was a mole. But <laughs> well, anyway, my buddy that does the spring, and he came out, and he had an old-time spirit track trap and we got him. All right. I, I asked him one question. I said, how come I got a mole? And my neighbor don't. He's just like, when you go to the restaurant, you want to go to the best. You have the best-looking lawn in the neighborhood, and that's where he went. Right, exactly. And it's not only the lawn looking good, but also when you have a healthy lawn, that means you have healthy soil, and there's going to be more earthworms, and that's what moles eat. Right. So that's exactly why they come. And that's why they don't go to the neighbors that have, you know, let's say not as a desirable circumstance as far as for earthworms or anything else. Yeah, but, but you know, like I said, he, he used an old spear trap on it, too. Right. Yeah, Victor spear trap or choker loop trap, those are the best ways to get rid of the things. But just okay. realize that, you know, they're gonna, there's going to be another one probably coming back in. And if this was a female, there may be some young ones already there, you know, so just yeah. stay alert. 
Okay, okay, thanks, Mike. Yeah. Bye. Well, thanks for calling. So it was the dirt was a mole. And now let's go to Bill, and Bill lives in Creefcourt. Hi, Bill. Hi. How you doing? Very good. Um, I was trying to find out what, how bad of a mistake I made by trimming my, uh, I guess it's an ornamental plum tree. It's, it has the reddish-brown leaves. Except this year, I'm not getting any leaves or anything. I trimmed it about two months ago at the end of February or beginning of March. Well, the foliage, the foliage is just now starting to come out. What you did is by pruning it, you made sure that you weren't going to get any flowers this spring. Okay. So if you didn't cut it back too severe, then the foliage should come back. But that's why I always recommend never cutting off more than 20% of anything. Because sometimes when you get too far back into, let's say, the core of the plant, there may be some leaf buds there. But those leaf buds may have forgotten that there are leaf buds and they don't do anything. So hopefully you haven't cut it back too much, and it'll start leafing out. And if it's not leafing out by mid to late May, then I would say it's a goner. Oh, you think, think it's ruined? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying if it doesn't leaf out by that time. Yeah, by the uh, end of, uh, what would you say? Sort of like you know, a month from now, so oh, or two weeks from now. If you're not seeing any, any kind of you know, buds pushing out new foliage on it, then that's not a good sign because the plants have to have leaves to yeah. be able to survive because the leaves use sunlight plus the nutrients and moisture that came up from the root system to make food, and that's how the plant grows. That's how the plant stays healthy. Okay. I mean, I've got a few little shoots coming up either from the roots or else from droppings, seed droppings or whatever that, you know. Yeah, suckers off the base is not is not going to be good. Yeah. So. All you, right. Yeah. So, Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it can be a little, uh, you, you, you know, it's, diff- it's difficult. I mean, orchestrating the outdoors here is very, very hard, not only from a pruning standpoint, but weather standpoint and everything else. So let's go from Creve Corps to Kathy's yard, and Kathy happens to live in St. Charles. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, hey, I got a question about my boxwood. They're about... Uh, three and a half feet in diameter, and I want to make them smaller. And then my my husband said, "Well, if you trim them, it's just going to be all sticks showing. So can I trim them and make them smaller?" Yeah, but you can't. You, you can't cut them back to you know. Look down in your boxwood because you're going to notice that there's not leaves down in the center of it. So right, that's right. because it's been shaded out and everything else. But if you cut it back to the point where you're just you know you're down to that point. Even the buds that may have been there, just like I was talking about with this uh, purple leaf plum with the gentleman just prior to you, the buds that are there may not be able to produce any new growth. So basically just give it a light pruning. You're going to have to bring them back down just over a period of a couple years. So don't prune them severely by any means. Okay, so just maybe like one and a half or two inches. Exactly. And make sure there's still good foliage, you know, that remains. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And this is a time of year to definitely prune your boxwood, too, because if you prune them too much later, then the leaves have been shaded by the stuff that has been cut off during the pruning, and the sun is going to get more intense, and then you can get sunburned. So, yeah, it's, oh, okay. un- it's an unfortunate thing, but uh, just be careful. Well, I can do it now. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. And uh, let's see. I guess we can get another call in before break. Let's go to Ferguson and into Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Linda. Oh, hi, hi, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know my name was Linda. <laughs> hey, I have a question.
question. I was planning to put my tomatoes in pots this year, and I bought an all-purpose garden soil, and then I got home and I see it says in-ground only. Can I put that in my pots? Uh... It's probably, it may be, it might be a little bit too dense, so it might hold too much moisture. And even though tomatoes like a whole lot of moisture and a lot of fertilizer as well, you may be creating a real problem. Can so, I mix something with it? I would mix potting mix with it. Okay. Okay. That so would, just get a bag of that and mix it in with it as I put it in my pot. Yeah, about half and half. Or really, if you get a bigger bag of the potting mix, probably two-thirds of the potting mix, one-third of this other stuff. Okay. Okay. That's what, that was my question because I thought I was ready to do it, and I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> so You were smart. Right. You read the label. That's right. <laughs> but I didn't read it when the store. I read it when I got home. Exactly. They love oh. you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll get some potting mix. Thanks okay. a lot. Sure. Right. And again, for anybody, you know, the tomatoes just realize they need a lot of, regardless of the type, whether they're in pots or in the ground, a lot of moisture and a lot of food. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, let's head out to Chesterfield and go into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Hey, first of all, congratulations to that earlier caller on getting the idiot mole. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got a short question about grass and a little bit more detail about rose bushes. Okay. On grass, if I spray a broadleaf weed killer on my grass today, can I put uh, overseed tomorrow without bothering the seed, or should I wait? No, even though broadleaf weed killer should not impact anything with narrow blades, anything that's a germinating seed circumstance, I would not do that. I would because there's going to be some residual effect, and even though the herbicide is specifically targeted for broadleaf weeds, and lawn is not a broadleaf. Then, but I would still be very, very cautious. I'd probably at least wait a week or so after you put a broadleaf weed killer down, if not 10 to 14 days before I put any seed down. Okay. Now, a more detailed question about rose. I've had this uh, hybrid tea rose bush in my front yard like forever. It's beautiful. Last fall, I pruned it back down, you know, for prepping for the winter like I've been doing forever. Sure. So the canes that are there now are deader than a doornail. Ooh. I assume from the January stuff, but it's putting up new shoots from the ground level. Is there any easy way to tell if those shoots are coming from the, the graft, the hybrid graft, or from the roots? Basically, if you can get down there and just pour, you know, pull the soil away and just see where they're actually coming from to see, because, I mean, you probably have some mulch on it. You can see if yes. they're coming off the graft by just pulling the mulch. If they're not coming off the graft and they are coming off the root system, and that's going to be the Rosa rugosa, which is this a wild, crazy yeah. rose that has a really muscular root system. Yeah, it's the, the, right now the color, they're about six, eight inches tall, and they're the color of my uh, Japanese maple. Right, which they should be this time of year. Oh, so that would be that color would be okay. Yeah. I mean, I've got some, you know, I've got roses myself, and all the new growth this time of year has that maroonish, you know, reddish color to them. Okay, so supposing I figure out that it's coming from the roots, how do I decide what kind, what quality of a bare root rose to get? What, what, what am I supposed to look for? Uh, it's probably personal choice as much as anything. I mean, if you're looking for a hybrid tea, you know the variety, the one that you have that you've loved for so many years? I don't remember, but oh. I, I, can't, I can't remember the names of them anyway. I just look at the pictures on the packages. 
<laughs> <laughs> well, I would personally, I would not get a bare rose this late. But, uh, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'd get one that's already in a pot and growing and uh, go from that. And, you know, if just, I mean, there's a probably, what, five million different kinds of roses. Yeah. So just pick one, you know, a name that you like. You know, I mean, there's some great celebrations going on in England. So why not get Queen Elizabeth or who knows what? <laughs> I mean, you got all these different reasons to pick stuff. Yeah. And it's personal choice as much as anything. Now, you said get one that's potted. I've always thought that getting the bare root was a better deal. Well, it's early. It's a little bit late for the bare root. Oh, so right. that should have been done. Let's say February, March time. Now we're kind of really on. We're on the cusp of May, and a right. bare root may not be able to get established before you know the really harsh weather comes in. So that would be oh. my only concern. You could try a bare root if you want to. Uh-huh. Okay. I've- Long, long time ago, I did a several of them that worked well. But this this plant's been here, and I've never thought about getting replacing it. Since I don't remember what I was figuring twenty years ago. Right, right. Who would? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the help. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, the I mean, the choices you can you can go online. You can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, look at the, or you can go to the Rose Society websites and see if you want one that's you know. Let's say has a whole lot of petals, doesn't have you know nearly a lot of petals, you know, you know small one, big one, fragrant one, this that, because there's grandiflora, there's hybrid teas, there's floribundas, there's all kinds of different ones that are grafted type roses. So you've got great choices. So thanks, John. And now let's go to Bethalto, Illinois, and that's where Lou lives. Hi, Lou. Hi, I have a question about holly bushes. I have two that have some. Serious damage last winter with that cold weather. The upper fourth to third now has brown leaves. Do those come back? Do they need to be trimmed back, or do we just wait and see? The brown leaves will never come back. They won't revert okay. back at all. That's just not going to happen. So That's what I thought. You can wait till them till they fall off and see what's going to happen. Hopefully, the stem where the leaf. So, in other words, let's say hopefully. The cold spell only, like, damaged the foliage and didn't damage the stems that the foliage was growing out of because you should start seeing some new growth coming where this brown foliage is. So you could either leave it for a while. You could leave it for a while if you want to, or you can go ahead and prune it, you know, prune all the brown stuff off and just into it. I know I don't know how many leaves you have, but you don't necessarily want to cut individual leaves because it's probably too time consuming but just to cut the stem but if you are going to cut the stem where the brown foliage is make sure that you make the cut at a 45 degree angle that's helps the cambium layer heal and will help sort of like accelerate the new growth process Okay, you did say that by now they should be putting out the new growth on those stems. Well, I mean, exposure is going to make a difference. So usually you would think that that should be happening, but you're, every individual, every let's say every circumstance has individual situations that trigger or slow things down. So consequently, you may your exposure or these holly may not, you know, be, you know, let's say accelerated by soil temperature and everything else. But most of broadleaf evergreens that I have seen as I've, you know, gone to people's homes or just walked through the neighborhood or anything else, they've started to push out some new growth, even though there was some major damage to them by that January cold. Now, also, what you might do, too, is after you prune is get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants and fertilize according to the label on the box. Okay. Thank you much. Certainly. Good luck with that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of, 
I don't know. I don't remember. You know, January was cold, but I don't remember it being cold enough to do the da- such extensive damage to all or let's say the majority of broadleaf you know plants that I have seen. Mike lives in South County. Mike, how are you? Hi. Uh, welcome to allergy season. <laughs> yes. I uh, I have major allergies, so I've been sneezing a lot and coughing. Uh, uh, yep, I'm, I feel your pain. <laughs> um, quick question. I don't know if such a thing exists in all my life, but uh, maybe something new. Is there a way to um, take care of spot weeds like dandelions and whatnot that is safe to dogs and or little kids? Uh, hand di- Hand digging. I mean, what could be safer yeah. than that? <laughs> no, I know that wasn't the answer I was oh. looking for. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's magical incantations. I think the moon is almost full, so you could do that. But so the, so the brands we all know are not really safe for dogs to be in the yard and whatnot. Well, they're generally there hasn't been any. St- I mean, there's certain ones that are you know certainly problematic more so than other ones, and there are organic, let's say weed. Broadleaf weed controls, and you know, so there are some, but the effectiveness of that particular type is just going to be, you know, determined by how effective you know you think it is. Is it is the weed dead or is it not dead, and that kind of thing. So right. Well, unfortunately, I expected you to say this, so I just thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> I see. I would go for the magical incantations under the full moon. I'll start right now. All right, great. All right, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if you don't, this is for anybody. I do, you know, I do apply herbicides. Like, I do use Roundup. I've been using Roundup ever since I was at the Botanical Garden. But I use it, you know, cautiously and everything else. But I don't use it, you know, among, let's say, other plant material. I use it, like, in the alley where the weeds are coming up in the cracks or in the sidewalks and things like that. That's where I use mine more so than anything else. And then I do have a weed, you know, a weed-be-gone type thing that I do use. But uh, I probably do more hand digging than anything. But I have a relatively small yard, you know, because I live in South City. Right, right. Well, I've uh, got something to look forward to and my allergies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good luck with yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's an unfortunate thing. But allergies, thanks, Mike. that is. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Right. Bye. Yeah. And uh, it was really kind of tragic for me. You know, growing up as a kid, I was the only one out of, let's say, my gang of friends that had the allergy so bad. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, why I was always sneezing at certain seasons and everything. So thanks, Mike. Now let's Thank go you. to Dorsey, Illinois, and that's where John lives. John, how are you? Uh, hey, I'm doing good. And the woman that called before from the, the, the Salto, mm-hmm. that's about six miles away from me, and I'm actually driving through the, the Salto now. Wow. Maybe you should go <laughs> by her yard and see what her holly looked like. Yes. <laughs> okay, my question is, my backyard was part of a mess, so I towed up three about 3,000 square foot, and I was planning on putting shady uh, grass seed in today and started fertilizer. Right. But it's supposed to frost tonight, maybe. Would it, would that hurt, or should should I wait? No, that shouldn't hurt because it'd still be seed. It's going to take several days before the seed germinates. So, you know, frost doesn't hurt seeds. Frost just hurts, let's say, young, immature, let's say, plants that are coming up from seed. That's where the major damage would be. Well-established plant material won't be, you know, damaged by it, but newly germinated things from seed, that's where the trouble will be. So you should be fine. Uh, should I put down straw or no. just kind of rip the dirt? 
Yeah, I say straw. I've never really understood what it is. I think it's just, you know, something that was invented to make it look like, well, we've been there. See, there's straw. But a lot of times it causes fungus problems and causes everything else. But if you're just conscientious and you water, the straw is supposed to be, you know, help with the moisture circumstance. But that's, it really doesn't do all that much. Oh, great. Thanks. Yep. Because, I mean, if you put straw down enough to hold in the moisture, then you're going to have fungus problems, newly germinated anything. Fungus problems, not good. So thanks, John. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, last week I was doing a remote broadcast, and uh, it was to benefit, uh, you know, Goodwill, to benefit... Well, and Shop and Save was hosting it, and the Boy Scouts. So Boy Scouts were taking this stuff out of the trucks and cars, trunks, and in back seats and everything else, and putting it in the Goodwill trailer. And the interesting thing was several people came by to say hi that had been regular callers to the show. One of them happened to be George from Florissant. And he said, you probably don't know who I am. And I said, well, no, I really don't. And then he introduced himself. So great fun for everybody that came by. It was a nice time to, for the remote and everything else. Let's head over to Waterloo, Illinois, and see what's going on with Laverne. Laverne, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Mike? Very good. Uh, I have a problem, somebody told me, with a pin oak tree. And it has, <coughs> excuse me, it has black balls on it. Right. What is that? They told me that could kill my tree. Well, it really won't kill your tree unless you get tons and tons and tons and tons. So what would happen is the weightum ultimately would could possibly cause cracks in the branch. That could get moisture. It could rot it, give it heartwood rot. But these things are called galls, G-A-L-L. And it's what it is, is an, a flighted insect lays it say the female lays the eggs on the branch and then when those eggs hatch they go inside the branch and some way you know this particular insect causes that bloating that gall mm-hmm. and so consequently it's protection to keep you know while it's while the insects are young but uh, there's really not too much you can do i mean there are systemic type things that you can you know inject into the tree and things like that but for the most part it's not going to necessarily kill your tree for decades oh, okay all righty. Well, that's fine. Thank you very much. Certainly. And, I mean, some people say it could kill it much sooner, but I've seen some, you know, tr- oak trees, unfortunately, you know, the pin oak group, which is the red oak as opposed to the white oak group, uh, with lots of galls on them. And, yeah, I mean, they're ugly looking. There's no doubt about it. But beyond that, they really weren't doing too much damage. So thanks, Laverne. And now let's go to Susan, and she lives in South County. Hi, Susan. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Two quick questions for you. One of them is a Japanese maple, and as the leaves are coming out, they're starting to turn turn under. They're it's real lacy, and it's not a lacy Japanese maple. <coughs> Any suggestions? Uh, it may be you know as much rain and stuff we've had. So how old's the tree first of all? Oh, just a couple of years old. So. It may be just related to the weather and everything else. I wouldn't be overly concerned with it, but uh, there's nothing you can, you know, what you could possibly do is get an electric drill with an earth auger, which is a drill bit, auger some holes, around, you know, in a circle around the tree, you know, several inches out from the trunk, 
and backfill those with compost. So in other words, you're going to feed the soil to see if the soil can help the overall health of the tree. But yeah, if the leaves are curling, sometimes you would think, well, if the tree is not underneath an overhang or something like that, or if it's not near a larger tree, which might be, let's say, robbing it of all the moisture in the soil, that would be my only concerns. But feeding the soil might be the best thing to do. Don't fertilize it. What am I going to put in those holes? Compost. Okay. So you buy, you and auger the holes down about six inches and you backfill it with just compost. Okay. And then I have never gotten around to trimming that my creek hurdle and it's overgrown. Any suggestions on that? Well, basically, they haven't really, I haven't seen any really producing any growth yet. So you got the time until the new growth begins to do the pruning. So tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> exactly. No, today. <laughs> no, you can do it. You can do it today. <laughs> no, you can do it. Just do it as soon as possible. Most of the crepe myrtles are not pushing out any growth at all. Most of them look like you know the, the above ground growth that looks dead. But uh, so, you got time to do it. I haven't seen any new growth, but I did take the end of one and tried to break it off. And it wasn't really breakable. Right. So you're fine. I mean, most of them, you know, they go through a major, when we get weird winter like we had this past winter in January, they could be killed all the way to the ground, but not necessarily all the time. So there's been people that have called in and they said, you know, my crepe myrtle, you know, uh, all the above ground stuff is really brittle. So in other words, that's dead. But if it's still flexible, just prune it back as much as you need to. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Certainly. And let's go now to Taylorville, Illinois, and go into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi. Um, got a quick question. Uh, well, last fall, I filled in a lot of low spots in my yard, and I deliberately let it set all winter to, you know, settle down. And then a couple of weeks ago, I worked it up a little bit. I just tilled the surface to break it up and then sowed new grass seed. Well, I had major surgery Tuesday, and imagine my surprise Wednesday when I came home and the landscaper had put down crabgrass preventer. Um, so there went that work. I'm assuming that'll take care of any grass emergent, too. Is that correct? Yeah, it probably will, because just newly germinated seed is not, you know, even though this, mm -hmm. you know, this targets specifically crabgrass, uh, yes. you know, this is the time of year when crabgrass is actually germinating. So that's now, you know, where the trouble comes. Then I think I heard you say one time that basically you just take a rake and break the surface, and then you can reseed. Is that correct? Yes. Like it, what it you're doing is... Film. Okay. Do I have to wait a certain amount of time? No, you really shouldn't, because what you're doing is uh, any kind of, let's say, pre-emergent herbicide creates a chemical barrier on the surface. If you break mm -hmm. that barrier up, then the chances of the seed you know, surviving and everything else is going to be enhanced tremendously. Okay, so... I mean, the seed that I've already got down is not going to germinate, though. Is that correct? Well, generally, you know, it may. You know, it all depends. You know, let's say it's a roll of the dice. If you want to wait for okay. a week or so and see if you see any germinating, you might want to add any. But I'm saying breaking the surface right now would not alter the the seed germination. Is that correct? It's either going to germinate or it won't? Exactly. So breaking okay. it, might you might bury some of the seed a little bit, but it should be mm -hmm. tough enough to, you know, survive that. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. Mm -hmm, bye. And Dan and Afton, could you do it kind of quick? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I wanted to ask a quick question. My, we have a, a tree in our yard, and I'm not sure what kind of tree it is, but the roots are growing um, kind of on the surface, and they kind of went under the sidewalk and came up on the other side. It's kind of <laughs> messing up the, uh, you know, the The hardscape, right, and yeah, the lawn. So I, I, exactly. And I was thinking that I would take a, um, like a chainsaw and just cut the roots because they're probably four inches or so and then backfill it with dirt. Would that, do you think that would affect a tree very much? Absolutely. You're going to do some major damage potentially to the tree because the root okay. system, you know, root system, basically the amount of roots there are is equal to the above ground growth and they both support each other. The roots uptake nutrients and moisture, send it up to the leaves. And if the roots have been cut off, let's say, a, let's say a certain amount of them, then the leaves, a certain amount of leaves in the tree is going to be impacted because it's not getting moisture and nutrients. So surface rooting is horrible, but there's really not too much you can do about it. And cutting the roots, you know, is not going to really solve your problem whatsoever. And it may send your tree downhill. So I'd I'd be a little concerned about doing that. Okay. And then is there any solution for that problem other than just getting rid of the tree? (laughs) Either that or, you know, no, there really isn't because it's growing underneath your hardscape and it's causing damage to your hardscape, whether it's concrete, you know, whether, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's where the trouble is, you know. And our clay soils and everything else, that's what causes surface rooting, as well as some trees just genetically have a tendency to be more surface rooted than others. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep, sorry. I mean, there's not no too much problem. you can do. but uh, Okay. <laughs> but th- thanks, Dan. And there is a gentleman that lives down the hill from me. He's got surface roots in the area in between a sidewalk and, in, and the street. And what he does is he goes out with a Bunsen burner or something or some kind of flame thing. He burns them. And I thought, what are you <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I have to laugh about that. But if you have questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I will be back after the news. The voice of the Cardinals. News Radio 1120 KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.